All right. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, like Brian said, my name is Sean. Um, I'm on staff with the church and uh, really looking forward to having the opportunity to worship with you and uh, to just share with you from God's Word. So um, I hope that you all had a refreshing Thanksgiving holiday, um, you know, doing whatever it is that makes Thanksgiving Thanksgiving for you. Um, I know people are into a lot of different stuff. Some people, you know, uh, really love the, the football that goes on on Thanksgiving. Other people uh, are into, like, the Macy's Day Parade. Um, you know, I think everybody, pretty much everybody, as far as I know, eats, like, an inordinate amount of food. So we got that on lock. Um, for me, there are, are two things during Thanksgiving that are, are very, you know, sort of like spiritual and wholesome that, that really stick out to me about the holiday. Um, one is that, that moment of suspense when you bite into turkey. Like, because everybody knows that like, well, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't be willing to admit this, but in my experience, like, I don't know, eight out of 10, I think that's an official, that's an official sort of statistic. Eight out of 10 turkeys sort of feel like you're biting into leather, right? For some reason, we've picked this, we've picked this food as like the center of Thanksgiving that is, is like just not, not very good, if we're honest, not very good. I mean, I don't know, I like turkey, but I'm just saying it's not very good. <laughs> We got that out of the way. Uh, the other thing was pumpkin pie, which I feel like is, if not the king of all foods, at least the king of all Thanksgiving foods. I feel like our sort of foray into like infusing everything with pumpkin spice is maybe a little misguided, but pumpkin pie, I think, is, is the king. So now that we have that sorted out, um, <laughs> in... Um, <laughs> But in all seriousness, like, um, as I was thinking uh, this Thanksgiving and as I was preparing this message, I found myself, like, very seriously thankful for uh, this church this year. Um, without taking up all of our time here, like, my family wouldn't be where it's at um, without this body of believers. You guys have moved our furniture. You've painted our walls. Um, you know, I have a photo. I, I would have put it up if I thought about it. I have a photo of people who stayed until like two in the morning hanging cabinets in our house. Um, there have been people who have made trips to the city dump with us, people who have given us insight on uh, parenting, uh, brought meals to our house, have prayed for our family. Like, you guys have, have come around us so much um, this, this year, and I'm, I'm super, super thankful for all of you. So speaking of, of sort of holiday seasons, Thanksgiving is over, and that means tis the season, right? Uh, tis the season for Christmas music, tis the season for Christmas shopping, tis the season for uh, bad Christmas rom-coms and ugly sweaters, uh, and tis the season for people asking for money, um, Toy drives and food drives on the radio, uh, end-of-year letters from any charitable organization that you've ever given to in like the past 10 years, um, ringing bells in red kettles in uh, the grocery stores. Uh, for you college grads, maybe uh, an occasional or frequent phone call from an unrecognizable number that looks suspiciously similar to your alma mater, you know, a phone call that you used to pick up and now you don't. Um, <laughs> You know, maybe, maybe you say like, yeah, once I, once I have a job, maybe I'll pick up that phone call. Um, 
even churches with drives for international missions um, or shoeboxes to fill or needs in the community. You know, and, and at our best, we, we know that all of these causes, they're, they're worthy ones. Uh, they're ones that we want to succeed and flourish and help people and make our world a better place. We want all of that. Um, even, you know, if we can't personally be involved in every single thing that's going on. But at our worst, this sort of full-court press for generous giving can bring out irritation and insulation. You know, why are these people asking me for money? Don't they know I don't have anything for them? Uh, I, I can't give to all of the myriad different places. Ask me, like literally everyone. You know, don't people know that I have my own stuff going on that I'm trying to make happen with my money? Um, why should I have to feel ashamed just because every time I walk in and out of the grocery store, I don't have any cash with me to give, and it makes me feel like a Grinch? And I'll, I'll speak for myself, and, and I'll say that like, I don't feel like this all the time, but sometimes I, I do. And if at this point I told you that we shouldn't feel that way, um, you would probably say, wow, thank you for your profound insight. We should probably feel generous instead of not feeling generous. But what if I said that generosity can uniquely draw us closer to the people around us? that generosity could draw us into closer communion with the God of the universe, that it would take our eyes off, it would make us less fixated on the, the hardships of everyday life and would fix our eyes on something, someone, unchanging, unshakable, and eternal, who would provide our every need. And this is what Paul tells the, the Philippian church in a sort of postscript, almost an afterthought um, at the end of his letter to them. Uh, we're going to discover this morning that radical generosity isn't just about the gift. We know that we ought to feel differently uh, than what I said earlier about being generous and uh, giving money, but how do we get there? What can give us that change of heart about generosity? So uh, we're going to jump into Philippians 4, 10 through 23. Uh, you can follow along in a whole ton of places uh, in one of the Bibles in front of you or a uh, Bible app or on the H2O app or on the screen behind me. So uh, this is the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians. So it says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only." Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so just like a, a brief aside, we're not really gonna talk about it much, but I love that Paul says there right at the end, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. 
Paul said earlier in the letter that his imprisonment was accomplishing God's purposes for advancing the good news of Jesus. You know, this news that Jesus had died to eradicate our sin and usher in the kingdom. And one of the ways that was happening is that servants or employees or uh, maybe even family members of Caesar, people in his sort of deal, um, had put their faith in Christ through what Paul had done, um, which is crazy. You know, he says that, that saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's house. The gospel was going everywhere. So just kind of an aside. Um, but Paul starts off, he starts off kind of vague. You know, he says, I rejoice you've revived your concern for me, whatever that means. Um, well, he, he's talking specifically about this gift that the Philippian church sent to Paul in prison by the hands of Epaphroditus, a, a member of the Philippian church, uh, when they heard the hardship that Paul was facing in prison. And it, it's kind of funny, like, knowing that it's a gift, because the first thing that Paul says almost sounds backhanded. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length, finally, you have revived your concern for me. But that's not, not really what he means. He goes on. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So, you know, the Philippians cared about Paul, um, and he knew it, and he was thankful for it. Just because, the, you know, they hadn't sent him any checks recently um, didn't mean that they didn't care about him. Um, according to the text, they actually didn't have any opportunity to give him anything, even if they wanted to. It doesn't say why. Maybe they were in financial straits. Uh, maybe they couldn't spare somebody to send it. You know, they sent Epaphroditus, like, literally in person to give this gift. Um, you know, maybe there wasn't actually even an opportunity that was obvious to them, like he didn't have any needs at that point. But as soon as they sensed that there was a need, the Philippians filled it. They got together a gift. They sent Epaphroditus on his way. And in fact, uh, back in Philippians 2, it says that Epaphroditus uh, risked his life to make sure that the Philippian church could generously serve Paul. Actually said that, that he risked his own life to make sure that the gift got to them. And so the, the Philippian church demonstrates that Radical generosity is characterized by concern and opportunity. Their generosity is not this checkbox kind of generosity, but it's one that it starts by caring about things that are worthy and then actively looking for opportunities to contribute to a work or fill a need. Now, starting out a message by saying, you know, sometimes we don't care about being generous, and we should probably care about being generous. And we do that by caring about being generous, right? It's not, it's not a very good way to apply the Bible to our lives. You know, how, how do we care about being generous if we don't already? How do we have concern for needs if we don't already? Um, well, a few thoughts. One, I think that the Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit changes the desires of our hearts. So just by having Jesus, that will begin to help us best care about the needs all around us. Second, Paul tells us earlier in Philippians 2 to do all things, including our generosity, without grumbling or disputing. And then earlier in Philippians 4, he tells us that dwelling on what is good, noble, and true um, actually changes us. So as we obey the Lord's command through the Apostle Paul to put an end to grumbling, to as our minds uh, begin to be characterized by what's good instead of what's bad, uh, we begin to turn outward instead of being turned inward on ourselves. And we will then begin to have this, this genuine, actual concern for the needs which can be served by our generosity. And once we have those deep concerns for where there's need, 
looking for opportunities to be generous like naturally flows out. So the radio station toy drives and the, and the food drives uh, are an opportunity when we have concern for families that'll go without Christmas dinner or Christmas gifts. End of year giving initiatives are an opportunity when you remember like what prompted you to give in the first place, even if it was you know, 10 years ago. Um, hearing the ringing bells in the grocery store is an opportunity when I remember that the Salvation Army is gonna buy meals and gifts for kids in our community. Um, even the, the alumni calls can be an opportunity when I'm concerned that college students have scholarships to help pay their way through school. When I'm concerned for all those that don't know Jesus, then what the church is doing through missions offerings and church-led community outreach becomes an opportunity. A disclaimer, by the way, not all charitable organizations, right, are created equal, and every person is not called or equipped uh, financially to give to, like, every single organization on the face of planet Earth. That is not what, what this is about. But I know that those two disclaimers have been excuses in, in my own life to not be generous, and, and that's no good either. So the bottom line is, are we concerned enough with the need to be generous that we are actively looking for opportunities to minister to those needs? Do we have concern, and does that work itself out in looking for opportunities? It's funny, though, because then Paul goes on to say, not, not that I'm speaking of being in need, you know, so here's this gift, I'm thankful for it, but like, actually, I don't really need it. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so, secondly, radical generosity is about Jesus, not gifts. And this is more of what we've been talking about like this entire series. Paul basically says, hey, Philippians, you know, thanks for the gift. Um, but God's got me taken care of. It, it doesn't matter if I wouldn't have had your gift. It doesn't matter if I'm living in squalor. It doesn't matter if I'm living in the lap of luxury because the strength to persevere comes from Jesus, not your gifts or my circumstances. So some people like to claim that church is this big scam designed to weasel people out of their money by giving them this message that I'm giving you right now. Have you ever, have you ever met people like this? Um, they say, Good Christians give money, you know, and, and you want to be a good Christian, don't you? And oh, by the way, the pastor controls where all the money goes, and it might just all go to his paycheck. No big deal, you know? And to be sure, it, like, it doesn't help that perception when you see pastors with, like, fleets of nice cars or private jets or, like, you see preachers and sneakers, right, where pastors have, you know, spent thousands of dollars on, like, you know, a, a T-shirt and a pair of shoes. Um, but the truth is... I'm giving you this message because like, it's right here in the word of God. And it says flat out, you know, the church, ministers of the gospel, whoever, they don't need to beg you for your money. It's not about that. The church is not a scam. God is going to take care of his church. The question more is this. Do you want to participate with your finances, with what you've been entrusted with, in what God will do? Do you want to participate in what God will do? Because he's going to do it, whether or not any of us participate. We are being afforded the opportunity to participate in what God is already doing. Because everything belongs to him, and he's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. What a huge opportunity that is. We get the chance to partner 
with the God of the universe. And that is what generosity is about. And even apart from the concept of generosity, this actually sums up the idea of invincible joy that we've been talking about this, this entire series. The strength, the joy, the purpose, whatever it is that we're talking about, comes from Jesus. The circumstances, the good times, the bad times, they're temporary. But as long as I'm hanging on to the source, as long as I'm hanging on to Jesus, I can do whatever it is that he needs me to do. Not like, you know, bench press a Buick or like whatever stupid thing it is, you know, printed up, printed on the back of my like high school sports t-shirt. Like, not that, but whatever it is he wants me to do, because if I trust Jesus, then I'm a citizen of his kingdom and I do what, what he asks me to do and God empowers us to do that. So Paul lays out, right, radical generosity, it's concern and opportunity, it's about Jesus, it's not about gifts, and he goes on. He says, yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And this phrase, share my trouble, it points to a deep partnership, an empathy, a fellowship. Um, you know, it, it's not just this, um, this kind of like, okay, cool, I feel like you need something, I'm gonna give you something, and like, you know, see you never. Um, radical generosity actually makes others' burdens our burdens. Paul describes these two times where he and the Philippians had a deep bond uh, because of their generosity. No one partnered with me, he says, except you. In Thessalonica, I was in need constantly, and you were there. You know, there, there was a bond because of this generosity and this partnership and what was happening. And there's a, there's a difference, right, between throwing a check at something and not thinking about it again and actually sharing in someone's troubles. And that's why I think it's wise to find a few things that you're passionate about being generous in and then being all in with those causes. Um, because real generosity, it causes us to go beyond this gift and bear like a, not just a financial, but like an emotional, um, you know, a spiritual, maybe even depending, a physical uh, burden with that person or that group that you're, you're being generous with. And even going back to the idea of concern and opportunity, this question of like, but how do I care though? Um, it's so much easier for us to even care about being generous if we view um, this idea of being generous as a, a commitment to partner in, in sharing the burden of that person. You know, I wanna come alongside you and do this with you. That's what generosity should be. Um, and obviously, not all generosity is needs-based, but even take something like hospitality. Um, we can view from that same lens of empathizing with, with other people. You know, I want you in my house. Like, I, I want you to eat good food. I want you to enjoy yourself. Not because, not just because it's, it's polite or it makes me look good or it makes my church look good, um, but because I care about you and I want you to feel joy. You know, this radical generosity, it's about deep empathy. It makes others' burdens our burdens. So moving back to the text, Paul again wants to make it clear that he's not hyper-focused on the gift. He actually has a different motive for spurring the church toward giving. He says, not that I seek the gift. It's kind of funny. He goes like back and forth like, oh, thanks for the gift, but like I don't need it, but thanks. Um, <laughs> not that I seek the gift, he says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Radical generosity is about what the gift produces, not the gift itself. 
So this is like Mr. Miyagi stuff, right? You guys have seen The Karate Kid, okay? And um, I, I made sure that, that I, I didn't watch it in preparation for this message. I haven't seen it in years. And now I'm going to tell you the plot of The Karate Kid, which should be really exciting for all of you people who have seen The Karate Kid. So it goes something like this. Um, Ralph Macchio, despite having the coolest name of all time, um, gets beat up by all these kids from Cobra Kai, which is a dojo full of evil bad guys. Um, an old man, Mr. Miyagi, uh, agrees to teach Ralph how to do karate and defend himself from the bullies. Now, Ralph is expecting to learn all of these moves and techniques that he can use to beat up school children. Um, and <laughs> what, um, what Mr. Miyagi does instead is makes him detail cars. Uh, he makes him grab uh, flies out of the sky with chopsticks. Um, he, he makes him jump up and down on uh, posts at the pier. Um, all the while, Ma Ralph Macchio is asking, like, cool, but when, when are we learning karate, though? Um, come to find out, right, all the super weird stuff that Mr. Miyagi is having Ralph do um, actually ends up making him the best martial artist of all time, or at least good enough to beat up school children. Um, but, right, the, the point, obviously, is that um, he's doing all this weird stuff, but it, it's, it's not about the stuff. It's about what the stuff taught him. It's about the, the habits and the rhythms that um, all those exercises taught him. So it translated to something else that was more important. It was about what it produced. So likewise, Paul is saying, even if I encourage you to give, which actually in this instance he's not really, but he does with other churches actually say like, hey, you need to be generous. But even if I encourage you to give, he says, it's not because I want your money or your stuff. I want the fruit that you are going to get. I want you to have that fruit. And what is that fruit? Well, a few things. Humility, to, to give to others instead of keeping for yourself. Faithfulness, to use what God has given you in a way that glorifies him and, and benefits the advance of his kingdom. Generosity itself, to, to give and create uh, like God does. Um, you know, the one who humanity is supposed to reflect. Radical generosity, just as much as, um, as it meets needs, it produces character in us, specifically Christ-like character. And Christians who are citizens of God's kingdom are supposed to look like him with character that becomes more and more like Jesus. So Paul moves on from, from that little nugget and he describes the Philippians' gift. He says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So radical generosity is a good gift because it's worship. We all know the difference between a good gift and a bad gift, right? Think about some of the best or some of the worst gifts that you've ever received. And I, I'm willing to bet, like, probably there are some, like, real stinkers out there, but, like, if we all shouted out at the same time, like, a best or worst gift, there'd probably actually be some, some overlap, you know, that one person's great gift is actually another person's garbage gift. Um, and, and I think that's because all great gifts have one or both of these characteristics. They are thoughtful or they're extravagant. In fact, I'd say all good gifts like have to be thoughtful. And so the thoughtful gift for one person might be uh, a thoughtless gift for another person. You know, if you bought me a thousand dollar computer or like a set of tools, that would be fantastic. If you bought me a Prada backpack, I would be underwhelmed. <laughs> you know, you can be overwhelmed and you can be underwhelmed, but can you just be whelmed? 
Anyway, don't worry about it. It may be difficult for us to, to give a good gift, right? Uh, but we all know when we've done it, and, and we all know when we've received it. And so now, do we apply that same logic to our generosity? Are we thoughtful with our giving? Do we, do we think about what the situation needs? Because it actually isn't always even money. Um, something happened to me recently. Uh, I expressed a need for uh, prayer to several people um, in, the, in the church. I was working on my house and um, increasingly realizing that like, it wasn't going to be done in time for the birth of my son, which was pretty scary. And so this one night, I was just freaking out, and I texted a bunch of people. It's like, just pray for me, man, because I don't know what we're going to do. Um, and somebody approached me and said, hey, you know, I was, um, I was praying for you and, um, you know, asking the Lord what I should do. And it's like, man, should, should I just come over and, like, knock the rest of this stuff out? Or should I, like, you know, hire some people to help you get this done? Or, or you know, what, what, what should I do? And, and I, I felt like the Lord was just telling me that um, he wanted me to, to talk with you. And so as we, as we talked it out and talked about, like, how we can make it happen and how we could change our plans, like, it was super fruitful. I sat down with my wife because of that conversation. We worked out a, a new plan, um, and it was just so life-giving. Now, think about it. There were, there were several things there of higher, like, monetary value, but what was most valuable is just, uh, just that person's wisdom in uh, leading me through the process, and it was, it was huge for me. So do we, do we think through our generosity in, in that way? Uh, are, we, are we willing to be thoughtful and extravagant with our giving? Because Paul adds that our generosity is worship. He uses the language of the Old Testament. He says it, it's fragrant, it's acceptable, it's pleasing to God. And like, don't we want to make our dad proud or our heavenly father, being generous is a way that, that we can do something that's pleasing to God. And um, here's, here's how I want to end this morning. Verse 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And side note, Paul doesn't say that God will supply every need of yours like because of your giving. It just says that he'll do it. And I think when he says every need, he does mean like every true need. Obviously, it's not a surprise to us when, you know, we say there are differences between needs and wants, and sometimes we have a bad, you know, we all know that. But I think he draws our attention to one ultimate need. He will supply our need according to his riches and glory in who? Christ Jesus, who is the, the provision for our deepest need. God leads the way in radical generosity through his son. Of any need for generosity, none is larger for us than our need to be forgiven and restored in the eyes of God. God made each and every one of us, you, to be in relationship with him, uh, to worship him and to uniquely reflect his characteristics into the world around us, to take good care of this world uh, and, and of one another, to bring God glory. It's what we were created to do. But all of us have committed acts of rebellion against God's good and perfect rule, not loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, not loving our neighbor as ourselves. And there has to be a, a punishment for rebellion in God's just kingdom. But God, with radical generosity, gave his most precious son to die in our place on our behalf 
so that we could be restored to God's kingdom. There we have God's perfect love, his provision, his spirit to protect and empower us, and the promise of eternal life with him. God has offered this generosity freely to anyone who would accept it. Generosity, it's not just about stuff. It's not just about the gift. It's about Jesus. And, and as we, we close with worship this morning, I would invite you to take God up on that gift to end all gifts. So let's pray.